This is Shane Gibson's podcast from ClosingBigger.net. Today, we're going to talk about Hired 2.0. and We've got the author of Hired 2.0, Dr. Dennis Covier, here with us. Welcome, Dennis. Hey, Shane. It's great to be with you. So Dennis is best-selling author of the book, The ABCs of Making Money, as well as How to Hire the Right Person, another book called How to Keep Staff Productive and Happy. And uh, Dennis has been speaking and working with organizations, I believe, in over 42 countries. I lost count after you hit 42, Dennis. How many countries have you done seminars in? Yeah, it's 45 now. 45 different countries now around the world where you've delivered talks, specifically around hiring and really finding the best talent. And so I was pretty excited to get an advanced review copy of your book, Hired 2.0, And what I asked Dennis to do was actually to come on and talk a little bit to our listeners about the principles of Hired 2.0. So before I go any further, uh, possibly you might want to give us a bit of an overview of the book and what motivated you to write yet another book. Well, actually, sure. Uh, I guess the the main motivation is we're looking at at the interesting reality right now. This is the first time in our history in the workplace that we have four unique generations all coming together working at the same time. From You've got still veterans, and they're still influencing some very senior strategic decisions. You've got your boomers, Generation X, Generation Y, and it's almost as if we need to become multilingual. And you've got those realities that what worked for generations before in order to recruit them over to at least consider your job opportunity, let alone come on board, you know, what worked before with some generations certainly is not working today. So I looked at that, plus I looked at the proliferation of social media. It's one of those things that, you know, you have to almost be living in a cave, Shane, if you don't recognize how things like Facebook, LinkedIn, and certainly Twitter have just absolutely exploded, and they've gone way beyond the fun factor of just people playing around with them. It's impacting how the media is responding to stories. In fact, in many cases, and and you reference this also in your great book, uh, you and Stephen have just done a great job of sociable, but you also reference the reality of how the social media is actually affecting how traditional media is starting to report the news. So these are pervasive uh, conversations that are happening around the world. In fact, the subtitle, the book is called Hire 2.0. The subtitle is Recruiting Exceptional Talent at the Speed of Light. And really what my thinking is, if you want to go old school for just a second, the best way to recruit anybody really is word of mouth. With, and you look at your existing staff, and you've got a loyal staff person that's been around for a long time. They understand the ins and outs, uh, the challenges, as well as the opportunities with your business and with the position that's open. And if they, despite all that, think that it's a great organization and that it's a wonderful opportunity and they want to just go out without even asking, they just go out and become a de facto recruiter for you. They're out there telling their friends, their contacts, word of mouth about that. Well, that has so much power. It has so much credibility. And recruiters have long been trying to plug into that. And that's where I'm excited. I just see such a phenomenal opportunity here for any organization to level the playing field. 
And you could be a small startup, you could be a mom and pop operation, and you can compete literally with the Fortune 500 organizations out there. By tapping into social media recruiting, essentially what you're doing is the conversation that's already happening out there, if you can tap into there and through uh, effective servicing and engaging in these conversations, not hard selling a position, but engaging in the conversation, you can let people know uh, about your organization. You can positively affect the awareness of your brand. Uh, plus, also, you can literally, uh, near the speed of light, because that's how fast pro, you know, the electrons and protons are traveling through fiber optic cables these days, you can actually broadcast your wonderful opportunities. So, in a sense, you're going, you know, new media with a very old-school mindset. It's that word-of-mouth conversation that can literally happen at the speed of light around the world. And that's exciting. So what's your some of your advice? Let's take a look at, I want to look at both uh, someone who's advancing in their career and wants to grow from, let's say, a mid-level to entry-level position uh, and thinking over the next five or six years with the need to go move a couple rungs up in the ladder or beyond. Uh, let's talk about from the employee or the potential candidate's position you know, what are two or three things they really need to be doing to be more effective at being noticed by people who are employing the tools, these hired 2.0 tools? And also, uh, what are some of the things that they should avoid or some of the pitfalls that we can run into as potential candidates? Well, I think there's, there's really two major elements to that question. I guess the first thing is don't be invisible. You want to have First of all, you have to be easily found. One of the, the sort of, I guess, a knee-jerk reaction now of virtually any uh, savvy employer, as soon as they hear someone's name or someone applies, they're going to Google the person's name. And you want to make sure that your name's coming up. So one of the things, I guess, is that, uh, you know, if you're using all of these pseudonyms or, uh, you know, these various names that people are coming up with, but it doesn't translate to the actual name that you'd be using uh, in, in, in an application, well, there's a, desk, a disconnect there because it's not linking through to your name. So you want to be visible. The way to do that is, is it's certainly to plug in, uh, have Facebook presence, have a LinkedIn, uh, there's MySpace. Uh, there's all sorts of creative ways that people are using YouTube to showcase their talent, uh, what their team has done. So there's all sorts of ways uh, – different networks to be involved in, the key is to start understanding, you know, who's actually visiting these sites. So the obvious ones from a, from a business perspective is certainly be uh, involved in LinkedIn, uh, you know, start to follow interesting people through Twitter and start to develop your own following. And be careful, I guess the second part of your um, of your question is understand that um, some of the behaviors that may seem a lot of fun, uh, whether it's certain comments, off-colored comments, um, or, or photographs of you after hours, that may seem like a really good idea, but in the light of day, you may come to regret these things. And more and more employers are doing comprehensive online searches even before they'll conduct the interview. And they're vetting out all sorts of people that can be very talented, but they're drawing some, some conclusions as to whether or not the individual's values will connect with the values of the organization. 
Now, do you think also that has a little bit to do with the generational issue? I mean, I've heard a number of baby boomers, uh, you know, come across as somewhat, some people might even call them uptight, that they they want this sort of polished, perfect image of the company and the individual, but the cats are the bag. Uh, people are already doing this and that maybe they're missing talent because they're over-scrutinizing the fact that someone's willing to place some pictures of themselves drinking beer on Facebook or state their political opinion in one way or another on their blog. I mean, do you think that also corporate recruiters might have to lighten up a bit as well? I mean, that's this is feedback I've gotten kind of from the Twitter sphere. But what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think what you really have to do is, is first of all, look to your organization. What are the core values of your organization? And if the core values of the organization, um, by practice and by design, are ultra-conservative, because that's just the nature of what you do. Let's just say um, it's a nonprofit with uh, religious uh, affiliations. Well, if that's the case, then obviously you're going to have to be recruiting at a different level. However, if you're talking about your your, your typical organization, you realize that if it's a question of going out and having a beer, and that's a normal practice uh, within within your regular employees, and it's within some reasonable checks and balances, and uh, you're right, I think corporate recruiters do need to chill out a little bit, and at the end of the day, uh, really what you're looking for is a well-balanced employee. So if there's no evidence of any really uh, difficult issues that are communicated online, and it looks like someone actually has as a, an external life, exactly. Uh, your advice, chill out. So now from an employer's perspective, um, you know, there's this whole market of people out there who are researching companies using the web. They're um, asking their friends on Twitter and Facebook what they think of various companies. They're reading unofficial Facebook pages about major employers and also the official ones. They're digging through blogs. What advice do you have for uh, companies that want to be good at recruiting online? Is there a few steps that they can take uh, to really hone their skills or be more effective? Let, let's take one that really isn't doing it well yet. What are the first few things they need to do? Well, I think the first part, even before you get to to doing it well, is actually becoming awake that you should be doing it. When, particularly when we're talking about the two younger uh, demographics, Generation X and, and Y, the millennials, uh, the reality is this. All the research that I've seen, plus my own experiences and practice, is that there's only two ways to get these folks' attention, really. Either you have some sort of relationship with them and it's some sort of a direct word of mouth and they find out about your organization and your openings, or you've got a strong, positive online presence. And quite frankly, they're not looking elsewhere. They're not looking at the billboards. They're not looking at the help wanted in newspapers. Uh, so many of the old tried-and-true things, uh, recruitment channels that worked in the past, these folks are just simply not looking at. So first of all, you've got to be online. You have to have a strong online presence. And one of the things is, is, and I'm not the person that's coined this phrase, this phrase has been discussed by, from Seth Godin to all sorts of other people, that when you're looking at our brand, we have to understand that we no longer own our brand, that uh, you, we can spend literally millions uh, from our marketing messages or even our recruiting messages, and at the end of the day, if we're not delivering the goods, uh, then really what we're doing is we're spending a lot of money just to underscore, underline the fact that we're falling miserably short. 
I think one of the ways to go, and this is maybe a bit of a roundabout kind of answer, Shane, but I, I really strongly believe this. It's really about what I would call the 10 key employee experiences. And at the heart of this, it's, it's really about how do we service our people. And in fact, I even look at it as to a service model. And it, it's, uh, in fact, uh, you know, I have to sort of acknowledge your dad, uh, Bill Gibson, who's a great um, mentor uh, and really huge influence on me. And he shared marketing and sales from the inside out models. And I guess he really did a good job in programming my mind to see that it's not the externals, um, things that really make a difference. It's about starting internally and doing a very good job there and working your way out. So what I've come up with, and I've shared this in the book, is a model of how we can earn the right to be called referable and and not only earn the right to be called referable on a face-to-face basis, but also how we can be referable and having these ideas broadcasted throughout the Internet. So what I do in this model is I talk about how it has to start from the beginning. And we call this a service model. So service is an acronym that stands for S is for staff, and this is really our starting point. We have to super serve our staff, and we've got 10 key staff experiences that will really, I, I would submit, make or break a lot of the conversation that's going to happen out there. But beyond staff, to continue the acronym, we have executives, it's how we're taking care of our executives, how we're serving them. Uh, the recruiters, these are our formal and informal recruiters that are out there passing on the good news about the opportunities. Any visitors, and visitors could be someone who walk into our place of business uh, because they're a paying customer. It could be somebody who literally walks uh, into our shop, asks directions, or it could be visitors that either trip across or, or deliberately seek out our online presence, our website, etc. Uh, investors, various organ- uh, stakeholders that invest in our companies and organizations, correspondents. What I'm referring to here is the actual media. Uh, what's, uh, what's the buzz that the media has about our organization? And lastly, uh, to be a service of everybody else. So within this mindset, what I'm suggesting, again, taking it back a little bit old school, I'm saying that there are 10 key employee experiences that will have a profound impact and will have a trickle effect to the conversations that are happening out there in the various uh, in the social media sites. For example, some of these uh, 10 experiences. The first experience, what was the individual's recruitment, pre-selection, job offer, and welcoming package experience? Once we hired them, the next experience is onboarding. Did they actually, did we kind of stick them into a corner, throw them a huge binder and say, hey, welcome to the team. I don't even remember your name. I'm going to get back to you after you memorize this huge binder. Or did we actually go out of our way to make them feel welcome, to feel safe and secure and part of the decision? Because one of the points that I'm making here in the book is that we're not trying to hire the chronically unemployed. What we're looking for is we're looking for, for the most part, people that are gainfully employed and they're passive seekers, but there's a disconnect. They're, they're, They're disengaged with their current employer because for some reason, there's not all these 10 key elements are being taken care of. So what we want to do is we want to connect with these best possible people and bring them on board. Then what we want to do, the third point, it's about 
What about the interpersonal relationships and the communications experience amongst the various players within the organization? Training and development, are we really investing? One of the things I believe to be true about younger people, you know, some people were saying, some of the old boomers were saying, hey, these people, want, you know, don't drop money on these younger generation chains. They're flakes. You know, as soon as you give them a little bit of training, they're going to take off and they're going so to go let's, work. Let's, let's focus in on the competition. This is a good point. Sorry? This is something, this is a bone of contention for me is, um, you know, the the sort of blanket labeling of Generation Y in particular as flakes. Uh, but yet I've seen uh, and worked with some very capable, hardworking Generation Y. But why, why do you think there's that misconception that Generation Y are flakes? I mean, let's get to the okay, root, well, first root of all, this I from agree. Um, perspective. Most of, a lot of them are certainly not flakes at all. And let me, my, my understanding of this and all the research I've done this is this. Because of the shaping forces that affected how they grew up, the Generation Y, for example, what you had, the boomers had a whole bunch more stability in government institutions and in the family makeup was a much more traditional approach, uh, religion, and then all of a sudden the shaping forces when the Generation Ys were coming of age as youth, young people into, the, into their teenage years, etc., all of a sudden the concept, the notion of employment for life didn't exist. You had for the very first time in history you had civil servants in our country, in Canada, being laid off. You also had the military. The military was, was shrinking, and they had the forces reduction plan. You had a lot of people turning away from formalized religion. You had scandals in the church. Uh, you had young people that there was a greater um, uh, uh, resurgence, uh, not resurgence, but evidence and experience of broken families. So you had more of the single parent dynamic. You had the latchkey kid. All of this really, to me, Shane, meant that the Generation Y, what they start realizing was that their security, their safety net, if you will, was not based upon some external uh, organization or institution as was the programming for the earlier generations, that they come to believe that their security resided within. And that's where there's a huge misunderstanding, and I think it's a lack of, 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 of opportunity, really, on the part of employers. Because one thing I know about Generation Y, if you give them engaging work, the opportunity to be mentored, and the opportunity for ongoing training and development, exciting work, what they're doing is, is they're actually seeing the opportunity. They're seeing the job and the company as being a great way to pad their resume and the more they can pad their resume and they're enjoying and learning, the less likely they are to leave. So this is actually counterintuitive to what the typical baby boomer says. The baby boomer says, why would I want to, to help them increase their resume? They're just going to leave. My belief is twofold. Number one, they're not going to want to leave as readily if we're taking care of them, and, and it's a dynamic learning experience. And number two, why, why build fences around people anyway? Uh, I'd rather, if someone's tenure is going to be only be with me for three years, I'd rather have 100% of them fully engaged than try to build some artificial fences around them. Great piece of advice. So anyway, I can go on if you wish, uh, but there's these 10 key points, and my point um, of, of this is literally half of the book is dedicated to how we can really do a phenomenal job, in a sense, 
as employers, super serving this great talent that we've pulled in. Because I think all too often, this is this is the shame of it, Shane, is that you know we go through hurdles. We put invest so much time, energy, and investment to go out there and get a great person. And the moment they come on board, we take them for granted, and now we're chasing the next person. It's no different than I, I know uh, you talk on sales a lot, and you, you offer great seminars. One of the, the pieces of advice that you share, and I'm going to try to do it justice, but, but uh, to me it really resonates because we're really talking the same language here. I remember you saying a while ago, I, I believe the number was, that it takes about seven times as much time energy and effort to get a new customer as it does to keep an existing one happy. So what that tells me from a customer service point of view is if we super service, particularly our key accounts, we're going to keep them longer. And, so and client the, retention is huge, right? And from the social media perspective too, and this is something that, you know, unlike a, a newspaper ad when you say, hey, we're a great company to work for, you know, you're in the past if you actually weren't, uh, that candidate who was not happy with you isn't going to come back and run an ad beside yours the next week saying, hey, they lied about this place of work. But actually, social media is exactly what happens, is that if you put up a job posting, they can use tools like Google SideWiki, or they can tweet it, or they can do a whole number of things uh, in your Facebook group, your LinkedIn group, you name it, to let people know that you're not being authentic. And so I think that's a really good piece of advice, something that I haven't maybe heard as much because people fall in love with the social media tools for recruiting. But what they forget, and I think you make a great point, Dennis, is that great, you can get on Twitter and be a master Twitterer and be fantastic at building great corporate videos and, and making really great blog entries. But, you know, be ready for pushback if you don't deliver on your promises to your employees. Is that, is that basically what you're saying here? That's exactly what you're saying. There's going there's to be pushback from several sources. First and foremost, it's going to be to those uh, disconnected, uh, disengaged employees that were over-promised and under-delivered. Uh, so now they have a medium, and they have multiples of mediums to, to instantly send out the message that they're not happy. Uh, but also, think about it. You've got this upset, under-performing, under, uh, uh, unappreciated employee how are they going to take care of their coworkers? How are they going to treat your suppliers? And, and most importantly, how are they going to serve your customers? So if they have not been served, if, if they've been over-promised, over under-delivered, because there's been a shortfall in delivery on these 10 key points, these 10 key experiences, invariably it's going to have a profound impact on team morale and ultimate customer service and what you're doing now is now you're just going to get a whole lot more thumbs on keyboards reinforcing that this company does not deliver the goods. So I guess at the end of the day, and I guess to sort of wrap this up, then I'm going to ask you to leave us with one more piece of advice and also let people know where they can learn about your book. I'll put a link on this podcast on my blog at closingbigger.net to your book. Uh, but I guess to wrap this up, is it, and this is, of course, my opinion, and maybe I'd like sort of a little bit of uh, maybe support on this or disagree on it, uh, is that I believe that, uh, you know, that every company does not have a choice anymore about being involved in social media recruiting, that your potential candidates and your employees are online. And if you want to take leadership of your brand, you have to get out there regardless of whether or not you like the idea. That's my thoughts. What are your thoughts on that statement? I absolutely agree. The conversation will happen with or without you. So first of all, you need to be aware of what the conversation is. You need to be listening to the conversation 
and and not like traditional recruiting where you're just shouting out the message. You need to be listening and then actively participating in the conversation. And at the end of the day, it's what you really deliver ultimately to your people and to your customers that's going to have the biggest and most profound impact on what people are saying about you. But you need to engage. And again, going back to your book, uh, you know, your rules of engagement and, and how to effectively get involved, get engaged and have these conversations and not simply looking at it from from a sales perspective, hard sell, hard sell, or from an HR perspective, hard recruit, hard recruit. Um, Those days are gone and uh, people see right through those, you know, through those approaches. Great, Dennis. Well, look, uh, Dr. Dennis Covier, again, a best-selling author, a new book coming out is Hired 2.0. I'll put a link up on uh, closingbigger.net for you to find it uh, via Amazon as well as Den- Dennis's contact details. You can follow him on Twitter at, at Dennis Covier. That's D-E-N-I-S-C-A-U-V-I-E-R. And Dennis, uh, a quick uh, one-minute closing thought for our listeners around Hired 2.0. Yeah, I guess for those who are not actively engaged, it's really easy to start getting involved. It's starting as simple as... uh, you know, establish yourself with Facebook, uh, join in with LinkedIn. You've, if you're not in with LinkedIn, you've probably already been invited by colleagues. Accept it. Start to set a profile up. Uh, start, start thinking of who are some of the leaders or innovative thought uh, thinkers in your field, or even in a complementary field, start following these people on Twitter. And you just start plugging in. Go to YouTube. Uh, type in the word recruiting. You'll be amazed at some of the very clever recruiting ads that are done. And one thing about YouTube is, is there's, there's a little bit more permission, if you will, or flexibility, that it doesn't have to be a Hollywood scripted production. If it's real, if it's authentic and people are genuine, the camera will capture it. You put it for free on YouTube, and you'd be amazed at some of the neat results you can get on that. Uh, and, you know, ultimately, it's only as limited to one's own imagination. The key is you don't have to get it perfect the first time. You just start engaging. You start having conversations. You ask people who are more comfortable. They'll give you guidance and mentoring along the way. The Great, Dennis. Fantastic. Well, hey, thanks a lot for your time today. That was Dr. Dennis Covier, and this is Shane Gibson with ClosingBigger.net. Thanks, Dennis. Thank you, Shane.